You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 107. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing. You should too. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host at the Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor. It's great to be with you today. And today's episode is titled The Family Stewardship Approach to Investing part one. That's right. I don't even know how many parts it's going to take because there's so much to unpack. Not that it's that difficult, just that we want to make sure we get through all this stuff so you fully understand as a family steward, the family stewardship approach to investing. But before we get to the topic of the day, I want to talk about one thing and one thing alone, and that is peanut butter. (laughs) Why peanut butter? Well, I knew at a very young age, very young meaning 21, that I was destined for sales. Now, before I say anything further, I am a fee-only financial planner. I do not sell anything except for ideas, except for being a family steward, building wealth like a family steward, investing like a family steward, approaching wealth like a family steward, defining wealth like a family steward. Those are the things that I sell. And before I started Fortress Planning Group, I was a vice president of sales for an international wireless products and services company. But when I was 21, Me and three of my friends were sitting around my apartment before my third year of college was ending. Notice how I said my third year of college was ending. That didn't mean that I was going to be a senior the next year. It just meant my third year of college was ending. And one of my friends looked at the back of the newspaper, back page of the campus newspaper, and it said something like, earn $6,000 a month in Alaska. So two weeks later, my dad loaned me $500. We had four guys in a Chevette car top carrier headed 96 hours to Kenai, Alaska to earn $6,000 a month. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details about that Alaska trip because I have stories I can tell on the air and stories I can tell off the air. But I knew I was destined for sales when my three buddies walked into the grocery store and we decided to buy a bunch of bulk food together. And one item was bulk peanut butter. I'm talking a big vat of peanut butter. We're going to buy enough peanut butter to last the summer. And of course, when you get to the peanut butter, what do you see? You got two choices. Well, back then, you had two choices. Now you have all natural. You have all kinds of stuff. Back then, you had two choices. That's it. Creamy or crunchy. That is it. Well, if you know a little bit something about Scott Wellens, you know that he likes creamy peanut butter. 
Okay, he's not into that crunchy peanut butter stuff at all. I think it's gross. If you love it, I'm not going to hold it against you because the three guys that I went to Alaska all wanted crunchy peanut butter. There I was in aisle seven, one against three. How am I going to get creamy peanut butter into that little Chevette? Well, if you know anything about me, and let's just say real quick, we're all into sales, okay? We're all selling stuff every day. Your wife or girlfriend or husband or boyfriend or whoever sold you today on something. Might have even have been the honeydew list. I have no idea. But when I was 21 years old, standing in aisle seven, I think it was aisle seven, I talked them three boys into creamy peanut butter. And that's what we had all summer long. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go, you guys. The family stewardship approach to investing, part one. Okay, we got to get real here for a second because we got to unpack what it means when I talk about the family stewardship approach to investing. We've already been through two approaches in the last several episodes. If you haven't been listening the last few episodes, please go to bestinwealth.com and listen to the indexing approach. That's what we covered last week. That would be bestinwealth.com forward slash 106. And if you looked beyond that, episode number 105, I think it was 105, we covered or lumped in the conventional approaches to investing. And what we found is that a choice between the two, we're taking indexing all day long. The research, the science has shown us that given the choice between conventional approach investing and index investing, indexing is the right choice for the family steward. If only looking back 15 years, ending December 2017, has 14% of the 28 around mutual fund, 2,800, that is mutual funds, only 14% beat on a long-term average. I want to be in the top 14%, so I'm going to choose an index fund. That doesn't mean I'm in the top 14% because there's still expenses to pay, and I'm just talking about the indexes combined or the index. But anyway, if I'm getting somewhere, at least in the top 20%, I'm choosing that over conventional investing. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go listen to the last two, three episodes. Please do yourself a favor. But here we are now. The family stewardship approach to investing, our third and final choice when we decide what our investment philosophy is. And the great David Booth said, one of the most important things in investing is finding a philosophy, finding one philosophy and sticking to it. One philosophy. So I am challenging you during this podcast right now that you need to find first a philosophy. Maybe it's conventional, although I don't suggest it. Maybe it's indexing, although better than conventional, but I don't suggest it. Or maybe it's the family stewardship approach, which we'll cover in the next episodes. It's going to take a little while, but it's very important to have one philosophy and stick to it. 
Because if you want to fail in investing, chase the hot dot. Find what's hot for the day, go invest in it. When it's not hot anymore, go invest into what's hot. You want to fail, chase the hot dot. Family stewards do not. (laughs) We do not chase the hot dot. So when I speak of the family stewardship approach to investing, said another way, I could replace that with the scientific approach to investing. Let's unpack that for a second. We know from past episodes that starting in 1959, we started to build a database at the University of Chicago of all stock prices every day, all dividends, all mutual fund prices of every day, all of it. And that continues through today. So we have millions and millions and millions of data points to investigate to find the one real way to invest, the family stewardship approach to investing or the scientific approach to investing. We got from the conventional approach to indexing through science. The CRISP was born, the Center for Research on Security Prices at the University of Chicago. That data was massaged, looked at in many different ways, and it was discovered that conventional investing is not doing very well. So given the option, let's invest in an index fund or a fund that is attempting to track one of the many indexes. And if you listened to last episode, you knew that in 1971, the first institutional index fund was born at Wells Fargo. It was used institutionally in maybe pension funds. It wasn't very widely adapted. In 1975, John Bogle started the very first commercial, or I should say retail index fund when he started the Vanguard Group. That was 1975. And again, it took a lot of years in order for some people to adopt this indexing approach. But think about that for a second. 1975, we had the data points, we had the science to tell us this approach, an indexing approach, is most likely better than a conventional approach in many, many cases. But that was 1975. That was 43 years ago. Huh. I mean, has anything happened in science in the last 43 years that maybe has taught us a little bit since the first retail index fund? Well, I think that probably science has. Look at anything in your life. Look at your TV in 1975. What the heck did your TV look like? My guess it is it looked nothing like the 75-inch screen that's hanging above your fireplace that's razor thin, uh, giving off whatever the latest 4K technology is, like you're in in the football field, on on the movie set itself. It's like real stuff. It's nothing like your TV in 1975. Nothing. Why? Because we've progressed. We've progressed in how we make a TV using data, using science, using technology, moving forward. Same can be said in the healthcare industry, etc., etc. We need to follow the science. 
And that's what I'm telling you a family steward needs to do. Follow the science that matters to build and construct a portfolio and then implement it. With research we've discovered throughout many, many years of history, the millions of data points. I mean, as a family steward, that's our job. Our job isn't to rest on conventional investing or rest on index investing. Our job is to keep up with the science. Our job is to follow the science. Our job is to be family stewards. But I'll I'll tell you though, it's not easy following the science because sometimes even science will lead you astray if somebody is using science inappropriately to come up with some idea, be it an investing idea or any idea at large. So as a family steward, we need to make sure of a couple of things. If we're going to follow science, it needs to pass five tests. And these tests I'm going to go over with you during this episode or in the final five or ten minutes that we have left here. Because we can't just follow any old science. People have used what they call science to their advantage. So let's go over these five tests. So the first of the five tests that a family steward needs to apply is the test has to be sensible. With the millions of data points that we have dating back to 1926 through yesterday, whatever strategy that we use in our scientific approach, it better be sensible. It better make sense because if something doesn't make sense, you shouldn't invest in it. When you look at test number one, it always needs to be sensible. There are literally hundreds of investment strategies that people have come up with throughout the years. And I'm saying any of them that aren't sensible, don't pay attention to them. Here's one, sell in May and go away. Have you ever heard that? Basically, it's saying stocks are horrible in the summertime, so always sell all your stocks in May. Come September, purchase them back again, and you'll be better off. Well, I'll tell you what, when I apply the test of sensibility, it doesn't pass because the phrase sell in May and go away has nothing to do with investing in the first place. It was thought to originate from an old English saying, sell in May and go away and come back on Ledger's Day. This phrase refers to a custom of aristocrats, merchants, and bankers who would leave the city of London and escape to the country during the hot summer months. That's where that phrase comes from. Do we want to build an investment strategy on a saying? I don't think so. Test number two that a family steward needs to apply in order to pay attention to in science is persistence. The definition of persistent is continuing to exist or endure for a long period of time. So if we were to use sell in May and go away, all of these summer periods or 
almost all of these summer periods would need to exist in all of the data that we're looking at that would make sense to sell in May and buy and then buy again in September. We would need to see persistent data throughout time. The problem is we don't. So sell in May and go away is neither sensible or is it persistent in all of the data points that we have. Number three, if we're going to pay attention to something scientifically, we know it needs to be sensible, it needs to be persistent, and number three, it needs to be pervasive. And the definition of pervasive is existing in or spreading through every part of something. In the stock market, for it to be pervasive, it needs to show up in all areas of the world not just in the U.S. There's more than 40-some reliable stock exchanges. Is it showing up in developed countries, whatever we're looking at? Is it showing up in developing or emerging countries? Is the data or the idea that we want to implement in our portfolio pervasive? Back to the sell in May and go away, it needs to be pervasive in the U.S. We need to see it, and it needs to be persistent in the U.S., and it needs to be sensible, but not only the U.S., in all of these other 39 reliable stock exchanges throughout the world. The data needs to be pervasive. We need to see it show up throughout the entire world. That's number three, pervasive. Number four is robust. Definition of robust, strong and healthy. I was strong and healthy in my 20s. I was robust. I'm not sure I'm quite robust anymore. But in our example, because I'm not the example, what strong and healthy means is we need millions and millions of data points. When we're looking about or thinking about paying attention to something to implement in our portfolios. We need to look at all the data points available. Because if we don't look at all the data points, we're doing what's called data mining. And data mining simply means that if we're trying to get someone to buy into our idea, but it's not looking good looking at all the data points, but maybe it's looking good looking at years, maybe 1960 to 1980. That's 20 years. If we use that, only those data sets, maybe something like, and I haven't researched this exactly, maybe something like sell in May and go away would be a good idea if those were the only data points we were looking at. But that's data mining. We can't do that. We need to look at all of the available data, millions and millions of data points throughout the world. The research we're looking at has to be robust. So in the world of science, these four, sensible, persistent, pervasive, and robust, always need to exist in the world of science. In the world of investing, we have another test that it needs to pass if we're going to pay attention to something that we might implement into our portfolio, and that is cost-effective. Whatever we're, we're looking at or whatever strategy we might have looking at the science, if it's sensible, persistent, pervasive, and robust, that's great. But it's, if it's not cost-effective, 
We can't implement it and do something better than an index fund. Because if all those other exist, the other tests, and there's not a real world strategy that will make it cost effective enough to be better than an index fund, we shouldn't pay attention to it, should we? I don't think so. I would just invest in an index fund. Now, momentum is an example of one of these strategies that actually is sensible, persistent, pervasive, and robust. In the world of investing, momentum basically means if we use a formula and apply a score to every single stock in the U.S., if it has a positive momentum score, or if it's above a certain score, we consider it something that will continue to persist, maybe persist up in stock price if the momentum is upward or downward momentum if the price is falling rock hard. Momentum is sensible. Momentum is persistent. Momentum is pervasive. Momentum is robust. Momentum is not cost effective because momentum doesn't last very long, either upward or downward momentum. So if we were to implement this strategy, it might require a 200 or 300% turnover rate in our portfolio to just keep up. Let me tell you, friends, that's not a cost effective strategy. Any advantage of momentum is eaten up in cost, both in implicit cost and explicit cost. We don't have time to go any of that into any of that right now, but momentum in and of itself is not a strategy worth paying attention to alone because it's not cost effective. There you have it. Paying attention to science requires us to go through the five tests. Paying attention to science in the world of investing. The cool thing is we have millions and millions of data points right now. And we have the University of Chicago to thank for that, for the university or for the Center of Research on Security Prices. We can look at all these data points and see what sensible, persistent, pervasive, robust, and cost-effective. And of all the hundreds of strategies that are out there trying to use scientific data, only four of them actually pass these tests, the family steward tests. And we're gonna spend these next episodes going over these four strategies. When I first got out of debt years and years ago, I decided I needed to figure out how to best invest my money. I've tried the conventional approach. I've been in indexing. It was an evolution for me. It started with conventional. It moved to indexing. But the more and more I geeked out, the more and more I researched, the more and more I found the great advancements in science. I finally found the family stewardship approach to investing. Applying this rigorous approach to anything you are investing is the only way to go on this journey. It's the only way to invest your money. Anything else, you're not 
giving your family its due, being a true family steward by not going through this investigation with me. So I invite you to continue to listen to these next few episodes so you can fully understand what the family stewardship approach to investing means. These four, only four, things that we ought to pay attention to when it comes to investing past the moving from a conventional approach to indexing. Oh my goodness, my time is up. I talk too much. Have an awesome weekend. I see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is also by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance with compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.